This is, I hope you've had a great Christmas time this year. Um, we, we have an unexpected visitor who's staying with us over Christmas. It, uh, his name is Charlie, and uh, he was discovered at the Humane Society next door on Christmas Eve, tied to the Humane Society door handle. They were, they were closed. And my wife was with some friends over here at Lucky's Restaurant. And uh, anyway, so he's been hanging out with us, and you never know what's going to happen. I'm not going to... I'm not going to make any predictions, but, um, but we've been, it's been fun having him with us. I hope it's been a fun Christmas for you with some surprises and some interesting things together. You know, this morning we want to, uh, to take a look and begin anticipating, even though we just had Christmas, uh, we want to begin anticipating this next year and New Year's, which is coming very quickly this week, and it's going to be here and be upon us all of a sudden. And um, as we anticipate that and think about that, I was reminded of Something I used to do, I was involved in youth ministry for a number of years, much like our Young Life friends, um, and, and I did all kinds of crazy stuff. And we used to use skits in youth ministry in order to break down barriers, uh, relational barriers and stuff, and to make people comfortable and relaxed and to build relationships. And we had this one particular skit, which was based like a television interview. And the television interview was with a crop duster, and so I got a picture of a crop duster here just to kind of remind you of what they do and how they do it. The, the, the crop duster's name was Dusty Crash-A-Lot. And there's this interview going on with Dusty, and the interviewer says to Dusty, well, Dusty, what's the most uh, amazing thing that's ever happened to you uh, as you've been flying these airplanes? And Dusty said, well, the most amazing thing was when I was flying one time and the, and the airplane caught on fire. And the interviewer said, oh, that's bad. And Dusty said, well, no, actually, that was good because I had a parachute. And and the interviewer said, well, that's good. You can begin getting the drift. That's good. And and Dusty says, well, actually, no, that's bad. The parachute didn't open. And the interviewer says, oh, that's bad. And Dusty says, well, actually, no, that's good because I had a a secondary parachute with me. And the, the interviewer, oh, that's good. No, no, actually, that's bad. That parachute didn't open. Oh, that's bad. No, actually, that's good, because as I looked down, I was heading straight for a haystack. Oh, that's good. No, actually, that's bad, because there was a pitchfork in the haystack pointing straight up at me. Oh, that's bad. No, that's good. I missed the pitchfork. Oh, that's good. No, that's bad. I missed the haystack, too. (laughs) That's good. That's bad. That's good. That's bad. Actually, the sermon this morning has a little bit of elements of both of those things. Got some good news and got some bad news. The good news is that in this coming year, I can promise you that God is absolutely committed to our growth and development. He doesn't want us to stay the same way. He wants us to grow and change, to mature, and He is committed to that. That's the good news. The bad news is that we are comfortable in the way things are. We're comfortable with our mindsets. We're comfortable with our cultural perspectives. We're comfortable with the way things are, and we like the way things are, and we don't really particularly like things to change. I was reading in the Gospels this week where Jesus was telling his disciples, you are hard of heart and slow to learn. And I thought to myself, you know, that's bad news, but that's also good news because Jesus is telling them the truth. This is a reality. You're hard of heart and slow to learn. And I said, Lord, that's the way I am. And unfortunately, that's the way we all are, aren't we? We're slow to learn, and we can be hard of heart So what is it going to take for us to learn? Well, 
This is the theme of what we're saying, looking at this morning, that God is committed to our growth. He's committed to our maturity. However, our growth may involve discomfort and struggle, but God will never waste the pain that we face as we're going through growth and change. So God's committed to our growth because we are slow to learn and can be hard of heart and are stuck in our ways. Our growth can often involve discomfort and struggle, but as we go through that, we can know that God doesn't waste pain. Now, as we think about that, I want us to take a few moments and do what I call a two-minute Bible survey, and we're just going to kind of blow through the whole Bible really quickly, and hopefully you won't fall asleep in the midst of this, but what I want us to do is just look at the Bible quickly and see how many places throughout the Bible this theme actually is seen that God's people, God's committed to their growth, but they are stuck in their ways, and so they have to go through difficult and challenging experiences for God to to bring them to the place where he wants them to be. So, for example, we take the patriarchs. Now, the patriarchs are the ones primarily in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and, 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 and particularly in Genesis, okay? We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I'm not going to go through the whole stories, but Just take for an example of those patriarchs, Joseph. Joseph was a spectacular young man that God gave visions to. The problem is he was arrogant with those visions, and he foisted them upon his brothers and gave them a hard time, which they didn't appreciate, and so they just did a little thing called selling them into slavery. They were going to kill him, but they decided, we'll just sell our brother into slavery. And he went into Egypt and became a slave in Egypt, And then, worse than that, he was unjustly thrown into prison for something he didn't do and was stuck in a rotten prison for years and years until later God brought him out of that situation and actually placed him to become the number two man in Egypt. And then later down the story, Joseph's father and his brothers come to Egypt and they discover who he is And they're scared spitless because Joseph now is the second in command and they're afraid of what he's going to do to them. But this is what he said. You guys meant what happened to me for evil. But God meant it for good. You see, God wanted Joseph to change and to grow, but Joseph had to go through those painful experiences in order to be ready to learn and to be used by him. We move on from the patriarchs to King David. Now, King David is, we could look at all the different kings of Israel. Some of them were willing to learn. Some of them weren't willing to learn. David was one who was called after God's own heart. And yet David went through some tremendous difficulties. Even though he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He rebelled against God's truth. And God actually had to have him experience the deep pain of a son who led a civil war against him. Can you imagine that? having your own son lead a civil war against you? And through that experience, God humbled David and allowed him to be a a leader who was more like Jesus. Then later on, what we discovered is the prophets. Now, you know all the different prophets. All of them went through interesting challenges and difficulties, but Jonah, the prophet, we all know the story of Jonah, you know, go to Nineveh. So what does he do? He turns around and goes 180 degrees the other way. Jonah's just like us. I don't want to do this. And so we know the story of what God allowed him to go through with the fish 
in order to prepare him to speak God's word to the Ninevites. Jonah is just like us. We go into the New Testament. You read the Apostle Paul. I was studying in 2 Corinthians. I discovered there's three different places in 2 Corinthians, and then they're scattered all throughout Paul's writings of the difficulties and challenges that Paul went through in order to become the person that God wanted him to be. As a matter of fact, when Paul had his conversion at the Damascus Road and was to be baptized, as God spoke to the one who was going to baptize him, he said, you go to Paul. I don't want to go to Paul. No, you go to Paul. Paul's going to learn the challenges he's going to have to face in my name. Of course, the, the, the primary example is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus was the obedient son. Jesus was the likeness of the Father. Jesus was the one who desired to do his Father's will and said, not my will, but yours be done. And yet, as the author of the book of Hebrews reflected on Jesus' life, he said this. He didn't say that. (laughs) He said this. Although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. But you say to me, Jesus never sinned. That didn't mean he didn't suffer. And through suffering, Jesus learned and grew to become all that God desired him to be. And so again, the theme of what we're looking at is that God is committed to our growth. But because of who we are, because we're stuck in our ways, because of our mindsets, growth sometimes is going to involve difficulties, discomfort, and struggle. But God's promise to us is that he's not going to waste pain. Now, the the primary example I want us to look at this morning, the story I want us to look at, and it really is remarkable, is a story about Peter, the Apostle Peter. Now, as we just stop and think about all that Peter went through, we begin to think that, that Peter, before the story we're going to look at, we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. But before we look at that story, you have to understand that Peter had already been through a ton of things. Stop and think about it. At the beginning of the gospel, Jesus called Peter to come and follow after him. And Peter gave up his profession, he gave up uh, the comfort of his family life, and he followed Jesus for three years. And think of all that, that he experienced in those three years. The miracles that he saw, the healings that he experienced, the calming of the sea when they were out in the boats. And then another time they were out in the boat and Jesus called Peter to come and walk with him on the water. Peter was taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Moses and Elijah together with Jesus. Peter then was the one when when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? They say you're this, that, or the other. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. And then when when Jesus then from that point said, now let me tell you what's going to happen to me. I'm going to go and be crucified. I'm going to be rejected by the chief priests and by the leaders of Israel, crucified, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. Peter's response to him was, no way, Lord Jesus. And Jesus had to rebuke him for that. And then, of course, as they went towards the resurrection, Jesus Last days, they were in the foot washing. And you remember the story where Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and he came up to Peter, and Peter said, No way, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, If I don't wash your feet, you can have nothing to do with me. And Peter said, Well, then wash all of me. Classic Peter. 
And then after that, Jesus says to the disciples, you know, guys, you're going to all abandon me. And Peter said, no way, I'm never going to abandon you. And yet, just within a few hours, Jesus denies him three times. After the resurrection, Jesus met with the disciples, and he restored Peter. And he said, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And then Peter became the leader of the disciples in a very real sense. At Pentecost, he got up and preached, and thousands came to know the Lord. Peter had an opportunity in the temple to heal a man who was jumping and praising God. He went before the Sanhedrin, the, 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 the rulers of Israel, and he declared that Jesus was a resurrected Christ before them. He was thrown into prison, and an angel came and released him. Boy, by the time you get to Acts chapter 10, you're thinking, Peter finally has made it. I mean, he must be matured by now. He must really be a mature, godly Christian. He must have his act together. No way. Peter is at the home of a man called Simon the the Tanner. Simon Peter, Simon the Tanner, two different Simons. And he's hanging out with Simon the Tanner. And while he's hanging out there, there's there's this centurion. Now, a centurion was a Roman soldier, and he was, uh, he was part of a Roman contingent that was in, in Israel. And of course, you know, the Israelites hated the Romans, but this centurion loved God, and he loved the Israelites. He'd even helped the Israelites build their synagogue. He was a man, it says in, in Acts chapter 10, who prayed every day. He was devout. He was continually giving alms to God. And, 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 and suddenly, when he was praying one day, this, this Gentile Roman, who the Jews grew up, were trained to hate. And he wasn't just a Roman soldier, he was a centurion, which means he was an officer in the Roman guard. He has a vision, an angel of God actually appears to him. And what does the angel say? I want you to send your people to go get Simon Peter and come to talk to you. So the centurion obeys and sends Simon Peter. Mature, godly Simon Peter, right? So this is where we're going to pick up the story about Peter. Peter is in in, in the home of his friend, the tanner, Simon the tanner, and he's up on the roof, which uh, he wasn't singing up on the roof or anything, but he was up in in Jerusalem in the Middle Middle East. That's the place you want to kind of hang out to relax. It was kind of like going on the front porch. And he was up on the roof having a quiet time, having some time with the Lord and praying. And it says as he was praying, um, he, he fell into a trance. And in this trance, it says he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending. Just imagine this. He's having this trance and this sheet is descending down from heavens. And it was being laid down by its four corners on the earth. And in it, it On the sheet were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And we can see from what Peter says that those animals were unclean animals and reptiles were unclean and the birds of the air, these were unclean. The Jews grew up knowing that these are animals you could not kill and eat. And God in his trance is showing them all these animals and a voice came to Peter and the voice said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, how would you react if you're in a trance and a voice, the voice of God says to you, do this? 
How much had Peter grown to be obedient to the voice of the Lord? You see, Peter had grown up in a cultural environment where it was taboo to eat those foods. And so his cultural proclivities overran what God was saying to him. And he said, there's no way. He said, by no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. You see what's happening there? No, Lord, I'm not going to obey you because I'm going to obey what I've been taught all my life. And I was taught not to do this, but I'm not going to obey you. (laughs) Sound familiar? We have commitments and mindsets, cultural beliefs, viewpoints, ideas that are ingrained in us. And even if God would speak to us, our first reaction is, no way, Lord. Are you kidding? Listen to what happens to Peter. The voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now you think that that's going to get through Peter's skull. No way. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up into heaven. I can't help but think, three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times. And now he's coming back to Peter again, and he's got to knock him upside the head three more times. And it's clear from the the, the text that even after the thing was taken up into heaven, everything hadn't gotten through his brain yet. Because this is what we read next. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to the vision that he had seen, what that might mean. I mean, here, here's, this is what I've learned all my life. This is what I was taught right. This is the way things ought to be. And now God seems to be saying this to me. And Peter, three times this happens. And Peter is in, in internal struggle going on. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Now, just do you catch what's happening? You see, the Jews were raised to hate the Romans. These usurpers who've come into our country and have taken over our land. The Jews wanted the Romans to be thrown out so they could have their own country back again. And they were Gentiles, the Gentiles, the Goyim, the unclean. Jews were taught, you don't associate with the unclean. You don't associate with the Gentiles. And now here are these these people coming and asking for Simon. And while Peter was pondering the vision, Peter stopped here think, what is God, what's God doing here? Eating unclean? Thing, I, 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 what's he trying to teach me here? As he's pondering this, the Spirit said to him, Behold, Three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Okay, Peter, three times I had to tell you to go, kill, and eat, and you're not going to listen to me. Now I'm going to tell you to do something else that's equal to what you were just being asked to do. I'm asking you to go to these Gentiles who are just come to your door, and I want you to go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now what's Peter going to do? Peter went down to the men and said, 
I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And what we discover is that as Peter obeyed them, he goes to the, to the uh, centurion, and he talks to the centurion, and all the centurion and his household come to faith and believe in Jesus. This is the first story about the Jews going out to the Gentiles to talk about the gospel. But look at what it took to get Peter to go, to go there. You see, God is committed to Peter's growth. And he's committed to his kingdom purposes. And he wants to get Peter engaged in his kingdom purposes. But it's going to involve some discomfort and some real struggle for Peter to get there. So the question I have for us this morning is, how does God promote our growth? How is he going to promote our growth this year, 2016, this new year? I'd like to suggest to you that we see something of a pattern in this passage about how God promotes growth. The first thing we see is that God will shake up our status quo. We see this in verse 17. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. God was asking Peter to do something which went against his, the total grain of his being. And God will challenge us this year with our mindsets, with our comfort zones, with the way we expect things to be, the way we expect things to work out. God's going to challenge us this year. He is not afraid to shake up our status quo. Why? We'll get to that in a minute. But what's the second thing that we see in Peter's story? God then stimulates reflection on his word and the circumstances. It's interesting to see that God spoke directly to Peter. Now, we don't have God speaking directly to us, except we do have his scriptures. And he gives us his scriptures and circumstances and says, okay, now, I'm going to make you perplexed. I'm going to put you in situations where your expectations aren't being met, where your viewpoints aren't being ratified. I'm going to shake up your world, your status quo. Now, how are you going to respond to that? Peter responded by looking at the circumstances and looking at what God was commanding him through his word and reflecting upon that. It says literally, while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit spoke to him. So the second thing is, is to be willing to reflect on what we're going through and what his word has to say to us. Shaking up the status quo, then reflecting upon what's going on, not just rebelling and fighting against it. No, Lord, I've never done that before. But thinking about it. The third thing that we see in Peter's story is this, that God provided new opportunities for change and growth in Peter's life. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them. Without hesitation, Peter... Catch the vision. I've sent them. So the three things that we see is, number one, God shakes up our status quo. It could be our health. It could be our financial situation. It could be things going on uh, in relationships with people at work. It could be all kinds of things that are shaken up. We may come across 
some amazing experiences, something we never expected. The second thing we do is to ponder what's going on, reflect upon this, the circumstances in his word, and then to wait upon him, and he will often rise up at that point and provide new opportunities for change and growth. Let me just tell you a quick story about how this happened in my life a number of years ago. I'm, I'm telling you something safe because it was a number of years ago. It's still happening to me, but, um, but some, of the, some of the cards aren't all out on the table yet, so I can't talk about what's happening right now. But let me tell you what happened a number of years ago. I had been on staff at Perimeter Church in Atlanta for, um, for five years as a church planter, planning a new congregation in the Lilburn Stone Mountain area. And then for two years, I'd been on staff at what we call the mothership, the big church, doing different things. And I, and I believed that God had called me from the church plant to that position because Perimeter needed some help in some specific areas, and I agreed to do that for two years. The two years were coming to an end. Now, as I pondered and prayed and thought about what would be next for me, I, I had, uh, honestly, a level of arrogance about me. I thought, well, you know, God must have some profound things ahead for me, some unusually uh, profound things. And I assumed that I knew what God's will was in those areas. And so I began lining things up to be ready to move, to change, to go uh, to, a different, to, to a different role in a different position. And so I had done all kinds of things as far as preparing for that and, and putting, looking for new opportunities and putting our house on the market and doing all kinds of things because I assumed I knew exactly what God wanted us to be doing. And um, after a while, nothing fell into place. I'm not talking about after a short while. I'm talking about the fact that I worked at this, not for six months, not for nine months. I worked on this for over 15 months doing different things, and nothing was falling into place. And finally, I remembered it was a July evening. I couldn't sleep. I was so frustrated because, you see, everything was coming together to not work. And it was getting to come close to the next school year. And you see, if we were going to have to move and change, I was going to have to put our kids into a different school where our house was going to have to sell. The house hadn't sold. I mean, everything was not happening. And so finally, it was about three o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I woke up, I got up and and I went downstairs and I said, God, I am really ticked off at you. You're not doing things the way you said it was going to be done. Hint, the way I said it was supposed to be done. Okay, but that's, so I'm really ticked off at God and I'm complaining to him. And so I thought, well, I don't have, I can't sleep. And um, God's obviously not talking to me here. So I'm just going to get the scriptures and I'm going to spend some time in the scriptures. So I just looked up the passage, the next passage I was going to be reading in the Bible. And it was in the book of Jeremiah. Now you don't think about going to Jeremiah to necessarily find a, a nice, neat verse to tell you things going on. God smacked me upside the head. In the, I won't get into all the detail. I'm just going to say that the, verse, the verses I read in Jeremiah basically said this. So you think you know my will. So you think things aren't falling into place. Don't you think I have the capacity to bring about the changes if it was my will to bring about these changes? Don't you think I could sell your house? Don't you think I could get you that job? Don't you think I could find the right schools for your kids? Have you possibly thought? This is, I mean, if you saw the passages of Scripture, it would blow your mind. Because what Jeremiah, what, what, the, what the prophet was saying to his servant was this. 
Do you seek great things for yourself? Why don't you seek me instead of those great things? And I went, good grief. As I pondered my circumstances and looked at the word of God, I said, Lord, I haven't been seeking your face. I haven't been seeking you. I have been seeking my own selfish will and my own selfish desires. And I've been superimposing upon them, those upon you, like they're your will. Would you please forgive me, Lord? As I pondered that, remember I said the third thing was that God could bring into your life new opportunities for change and growth? The new opportunity for change and growth for me at that point was staying on staff at Perimeter Church for 12 more years. Something I completely never thought of. And some of the most amazing things happened in those 12 years. If we could sit down over coffee together, I could tell you about my kids, things in their lives. I could tell you about my wife going back, getting her master's degree. I could tell you about the the elders at, at Perimeter sending me back to graduate school and doing things, going through all different kinds of things. Amazing things happened in those 12 years that I never could have controlled. But because he allowed me to go through the pain, because of pondering his word and thinking about my circumstances through that, he brought about a transition, a change that I never could have imagined or expected. What's God doing in your life this year? I can say this, God is committed to your growth. And that growth experience may involve discomfort and struggle. I could tell you things going on in my life right now where I'm struggling, trying to figure out what God's doing. But the scriptures say God never wastes pain. And he is more committed to our growth and change than he is to our comfort and relaxation. He's more committed to our growth and change. (laughs) Story about this gentleman. His name is Josiah Henson. Josiah Henson was born in slavery and had terrible experience growing up as a slave. Finally ran away and was able to gain his freedom in the north. Was able to gain an education He had learned to read and write even as a slave, but he was able to to learn more things. Wrote an autobiography about his experience as a slave. It became kind of the smash hit for the the abolitionists before the Civil War. Kind of one of their go-to documents to speak against slavery. And and Henson then was asked to speak and became a very well-known speaker throughout the northern states speaking against slavery, was finally asked to go and speak in England about the abolition of slavery to the folks there. And when he was in England, he actually had a a presentation he gave where the Archbishop of Canterbury, the the highest ranking person in in the English church, in the Anglican church, the Archbishop of Canterbury was there. And afterwards, he was so impressed with Josiah Henson and the talk that he gave he came up to him and said, can you please tell me where you attended university? And Henson looked at him and said, I attended the University of Adversity. God is committed 
to our growth. Sometimes it means adversity. Things that we necessarily would never want to go through. But God is committed to our growth and change. Why? So that we can grow and change in order to represent Him for His glory. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. And I want to use the prayer of St. Augustine who prayed this, O Lord, do whatever you need to do to me so that you can do whatever you want to do through me. It's a scary prayer, Lord. I don't like to anticipate going through difficulties, struggles, or even pain. But I know that disequilibrium will bring change and growth, which will allow me to serve you. I pray for my friends here. Help us, Lord, as we go into 2016 to say, Lord, do whatever you need to do to me so that you can do whatever you want to do through me. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we've gathered together with family this, this last week, uh, my son and his family came up for a day uh, to celebrate Christmas together. And uh, I know you have a hard time believing this coming out of my family, but my two grandsons were getting into a major fight together. And they were going at it tooth and nail. And my son got between them, separated them, and uh, had specific words and discipline for both of them in the situation. Now, how do you think my son would feel if I went up to him and said, don't you know you're harming your kids by disciplining them like that? Don't you just, why don't you just let them do whatever they want to do? No, he loves them too much to let them get away with that. <laughs> Just like I loved him too much to get away with things. And my father before that. You know, the author of Hebrews says that no discipline for the moment is enjoyable. But for those who've been trained by it, they will experience the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's what we've been talking about this morning. God doesn't want to inflict pain on you needlessly. He doesn't want to give you a hard time. He's not against, he cares for you. He sent Jesus to pay your ransom. But he yearns for you to grow and change over this next year. He yearns for all of us to get there. None of us have arrived. None of us like Peter have made it. So we need to look at the experiences that we're having when we're perplexed, reflect on his word and the circumstances. Seek His Spirit and see what He's seeking to teach you and to teach all of us in this next year. Now unto Him who is able to keep us from falling and who is able to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father, May the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you this week. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.